Hi, I'm David Stoker, and I want to welcome you to the Better Life and Recovery hashtag Hope Dealer Movement podcast. As a visible and vocal member of the recovery community since 2009, I'm frequently asked questions and for advice from people all the time. Some are curious, some are still using, some are in recovery, and some people just care about somebody who's currently struggling with a hurt habit or hangout. If people in my community have those questions, I guarantee that people everywhere are looking for answers as well. We started this podcast to give you answers and support because not only is recovery real, it is amazing. Hope you enjoy the show. Let me start off by introducing you to the Japanese concept of Aikigai. There's no direct English translation for Aikigai, but it's thought to combine two different words. The Japanese word Akiru, meaning to live, and Kai, meaning the realization of what one hopes for. So together, to live out your hopes. Together, those definitions kind of create the concept of Aikigai or a reason to live, the idea of having a purpose in life. Now, Aikigai looks at four areas of your, of your life. It looks at what you're good at, what you love, what the world needs, and then it looks at what you can be paid for. And what, what it proposes is that when you find that sweet spot right in the middle of all four of those, well, all four of those connect, that that is your purpose. Now, what we're going to do is actually start looking at the first three. We're going to look at what we're good at, what we love, and what the world needs. Because if we got those things right there, that's going to help give us our why. And finding your why is vitally important. Once you know your why, then you can find your way through life and nothing can stop you. Uh, the German philosopher Friedrich Nitschke said, He who has a why can endure any how. So not only does knowing your why make you unstoppable, it also gives you direction and purpose. Um, William Barclay He's got another quote that I really liked. He said, there are two great days in a person's life, the day we are born and the day we discover why. So in a minute, we'll talk about how we find our why. Because once we know our why, we're well on our way. Or as they used to say in G.I. Joe, now you know and knowing is half the battle. Go, Joe! I don't know. I guess that kind of took me back to my childhood. Sorry. Unfortunately, somewhere along the way, a lot of us have lost our why. Our why has disappeared, or maybe it started to feel like it's unattainable for a lot of different reasons. Maybe it got hidden because your life was consumed by a hurt, a habit, or a hang-up. And when I talk about a hurt, habit, or hang-up, I'm talking about uh, something that stopped us from realizing our full potential. Um, things like trauma, divorce, anger, depression, uh, worthlessness, anxiety, fear, substance misuse etc 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 right all those different things so other times uh maybe life gets in the way of us identifying our why like we're working 60 hours a week right and then we have kids to take care of and we have bills to pay and we have lions and tigers and bears oh my i mean we just have excuse after excuse after excuse but we can make time to play video games or watch football for hours or watch mind-numbing episodes of the real housewives of I don't really care anything about where they're from and all kinds of inane, boring things. Yet we don't have time for our why. 
Now, some people's whys have been displaced by their what. That's obvious because when I ask most people who they are, they give me their what, right? Like, uh, I'm a framer. Hi, my name's David. I'm in sales. I'm a parent. I'm a child. That's not a, a why. That's a what. Maybe instead of asking people who they are, maybe we should be asking them why they are, right? Why? Why are you? When we replace our why with our what, we find ourselves stuck, taking care of our responsibilities, but not doing a whole lot else. Then we mistake our responsibilities for our true purpose or our why. We're so busy nine to five in it, merely existing instead of living the type of full life that only comes to those who know their why and are chasing after it. So instead we go to work. And here I'm kind of reminded of that Dunkin' Donuts commercial when I was younger. Time to make the donuts. You know, you've got a job that you tolerate or maybe you even like. But man, you dread when Sunday hits because it means Monday's right around the corner. And in the back of your head, you're like, why is Friday so far from Monday? But Monday's so close to Saturday. It's just not fair, right? Um, and it's not. I agree. I mean, I read a thing that said that if you're over the age of 40, you should have a three-day work week and everybody else should have a four-day work week. And at first I thought, wow, that sounds amazing until I realized that my boss would probably have had me working four twelves. So I still would have been working myself to death. So I don't know. I mean, I think that there's so much anxiety and depression and suicide and violence because most people haven't found their why. They have no idea what they're supposed to be doing. They've got no rudder to direct, to, to direct them so that they rudderously just kind of spin out of control. And then they lose their passion and they burn out and compassion fatigue sets in and it leads to disillusionment and helplessness and hopelessness, depression, anxiety, substance use, just thing after thing after thing cascades because we don't know what we're supposed to do. We don't have purpose. Now, almost everybody knows their what, but very few of us know our why, which leads us to, uh, man, how do we find our why? You know, really, I think we need to act like a three-year-old asking their parent question, the same question over and over again, right? Why? 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 Like, first we want to look at and say, what, what are you good at? And this can be really difficult for us to look at and to figure out because we seldom see our own skills. So, I mean, if I'm looking for what I'm good at, I might ask, actually ask the people around me the most, you know what, what do you think I'm good at? Um, what do people compliment you about the most? Uh, what comes naturally to you? What came easy to you when you were younger? What are your strengths? You know, um, maybe those are some of the things that we need to look at at first so that we can figure out what I'm good at. And then we build up a list of that. Now, the second thing we want to look at is what do you love to do? Like, uh, what are your favorite hobbies? Uh, what are you passionate about? What in life gives you the most pleasure when you're doing it? Uh, over the course of a week, write down the things you enjoy doing the most. Think about what gets you out of bed in the morning. I mean, besides coffee, right? Because obviously coffee's on that list and coffee's, coffee's probably something you love. So I don't know, maybe coffee would be on there. 
I don't know, uh, what am I good at? Grinding beans. What do you love? Coffee. Now, finally, explore what's in your community, your state, your country, or in the entire world. What's that need? So here you can ask yourself some questions like, I would love to live in a world where blank, and then fill that blank in. Uh, what issues will get you onto your soapbox quicker than anything? Uh, what are things you can do to be helpful to other people? In fact, what can you do that will make the world you are in a better place? So that's how I would kind of look at those first three questions, right? What are you good at? What do you love to do? And what does the world need? What does your community need? And we also need to remember sometimes it might not be this huge global thing. Uh, remember that saying, uh, to the whole world you may only be one person, but to one person you may be the whole world. Maybe it's to impact a, a smaller group of people. Maybe it's just to have an impact there in your community. But try to figure out what you can do that's going to make it better. Now, when we look at these things, all these things intersect into your why. And that's the thing that gives you delight and fullness. Um, I wish I had a picture. Uh, if you go to the notes, we'll have the picture of Ikigai, the Venn diagram. And basically that Venn diagram is just four circles and then it shows where they interconnect. And it shows us some interesting things, right? Um, it shows us that, say, uh, as I look at this really quick... Um, what you love and what you're good at, where those things intersect, that, that's your passion. And what you love and what the world needs when those things intersect, that's your mission. And where what, you, what the world needs, what you're good at, and what you love intersect, to me, that's your why. And like it says in the Venn diagram, it says there you'll find delight and fullness, but you're not going to find wealth. And for some of us, that's perfectly okay. Some of us, we're not looking for wealth. You know, there's some lucky people out there that have amazing jobs where they're able to work and then at the same time on the side chase their why. But others, we still need to get paid, right? So if we look at the part four of Ikegia, what can you be paid for? We're going to see uh, maybe some other questions we need to ask, right? Now that you know what your why is... What are people in that area or that field getting paid to do? Maybe even find people that get paid to do your why and find out if there are skills that you need to gain or maybe trainings you can attend that are going to make you more likely to get hired to do your why. Maybe you can create your own nonprofit and build it. Uh, you could ask yourself what services you, you can provide for your why. And believe it or not, uh, you can speak things into existence. But I think the big key here is to not give up. You know, once again, there can be overlap here too, right? Uh, if we look at this diagram again, maybe I find a job that lines up with what I'm good at, and they call that a profession. Or maybe I find a job where uh, I get paid to do what the world needs, and that they call uh, your vocation. So for me... I. I used to have a profession. I was a bartender, and I was a server, and I was really good at it. You know, I made really good money. I was quick. I was efficient. I was really good with the people that I would wait on, and I did that for years, but at the same time, man, I always felt satisfaction, but I felt kind of useless, 
And then once I got sober, it, it made it even worse because I realized that when I was serving people, I mean, basically I was a legal drug dealer for a lot of people because I had a lot of people that would come in and misuse the alcohol. Or I knew that they were going to other places after they left uh, where I worked, or I knew that they'd came to my place after having drinks at another place. So for me, that was really difficult, right? Uh, and then I, I discovered that as I got started uh, leaning more towards sobriety, I realized that I probably needed to go to school uh, because I started seeing that there were some things I wanted to do. Uh, first off, I wanted to figure out what the heck was wrong with me which is why uh, psychology was one of my two majors. And I also wanted to try to realize why society was so jacked up, which is why I took sociology and I ended up getting a bachelor in both of those. But as I was going through that, I, you know, by this time I was not using the heavier drugs, but I was still drinking um, to black out most nights. But I decided that I wanted to try to make an impact on people who had opioid and uh, amphetamine problems like I'd had. So I ended up going into uh, social work and then I started working a practicum and you know that was my vocation. I went from my profession to my vocation and to me that vocation was a career and I was really happy to have a career right because now I was getting paid not just for something that I was good at but something that the world needed. And I liked what I did, but yet there was always this kind of emptiness because I still didn't feel like I was doing enough. I still felt a little empty because I, I saw there were these huge needs uh, when people got out of treatment and stepped into the recovery, uh, well, back into their community, that there just wasn't enough recovery supports there. I mean, sure, there were you know the mutual support groups, uh, like 12-step meetings, faith-based meetings, and those types of things, but there really wasn't enough sober, family-friendly, pro-social activities for people to engage in. So I said, you know what? Maybe I should start a nonprofit and do that. And I started a nonprofit, and that nonprofit, uh, I don't know, I, I guess I really haven't talked about it too much. Uh, but that nonprofit, I mean, we started in 2012 with one event. It was uh, an event that we did. Uh, I believe that was the event that we did. Uh, I was invited to, out to a small rural community by a pastor who wanted me to come out and, and do something for his kids. Because as he put it, I have kids who are, are going to be third generation methamphetamine cooks, and I don't know what to do to get through to them. So the first year we did one event, and the second year we did three events, and uh, the third year we did seven events, and the uh, fourth year uh, we filed for a 501c3, and then I, I had kind of gained some prestige uh, in my field a little bit, at least locally, and I was pretty good at what I did, and now I was in recovery, and I had people that that started uh, subcontracting me out to go and do uh, trainings on occasion. And I started falling out of like uh, with the one-on-one -on -one counseling and started falling in love with like these bigger macro projects, like putting on bigger events and trying to uh, educate communities and reduce stigma and trying to help create bills that will be a that will create effective policy to either improve treatment or 
to uh, harm reduction bills that maybe will help keep people alive long enough to find recovery. And while I was doing that, man, something kind of clicked, right? I knew that I'd finally found my why. And the more that I uh, poured into my why, because I don't know if you're like me, but if you're a person in recovery or somebody who's actively using, there's a good chance you are. I don't do anything halfway. I don't dip my toe in the pool. I cannonball into that sucker. So I have a wife. I have two children. Uh, One is extremely young. And the other one is, I don't know, if Addison is one, then DJ is... Um, five, six. So I have two really young kids and yet I'm working 50 hours at work and then I'm putting in another 20, 30 hours a week in my nonprofit. And I, I started, uh, getting a little of what they call compassion fatigue, right? Uh, from taking in all kinds of secondary vicarious trauma is what they call it. Basically, picking up everybody else's trauma. And because I wasn't doing good self-care for myself, it was starting to overload me. And then I kind of started to burn out. And I started maybe not picking up on the emotions that were coming across or there was emotions that, uh, like I, I will remember my wife crying and me literally stopping and thinking, oh, wait a minute, those are real tears. I I need to pay closer attention to this because I had gotten so used to people crying that at, at work that really it, I, I had just kind of shut down emotionally. And I knew that maybe there was time it was time to stop what I was doing. So I started talking to my boss. Uh, not my boss. Well, I did talk to my boss. But the person uh, with the Missouri Recovery Network that I was subcontracting out with, I started talking to her and saying, hey, when are you going to hire me full time? And she would say, sorry, we don't have a position. And then I went to my boss and I was like, hey, this is what I really want to do. And I'd love to do it for you guys because I've worked here for so long. But I'm afraid that if we can't find me a job doing this, that I'm going to have to leave and go somewhere else. And she actually brought in the VP of the entire company. Uh, there's this uh, organization that I was working for at the time. They're in five different states. They've got about 6,000 employees. And she brought in the VP to talk to me. And we sat down and talked. And they didn't have anything in what I wanted to do. They just couldn't pay me for it. So uh, I continued plodding on because I knew what I needed to do, right? So I just continued to work. And I want you to know that that not getting paid to do your why, as long as you know what you, it is and you're still able to do it, isn't always a bad thing. Now, it was for me because I'm one of those people that, that doesn't do anything in moderation, so I was doing both at full bore and not having a whole lot of time for my family and not having any time for my own personal self-care, right? I'm not, I just wasn't able to turn it off. I mean, that said, I've got a friend who's got a successful company, and and I'll pick on him because he's going to help make two points for me. First, my friend is able to pay his bills, and he's able to live his life thanks to his profession, and it's something that he enjoys doing. Um, Now, on the side, he volunteers some of his time for his why. 
And for the longest time, he was at a nonprofit that works in with Section 8 housing. And they go in and they provide mentorship for youth that are in single parent families, uh, kind of giving them support, mentoring, those types of things that they need. And he'd done that for years and he loved doing it. He knew he was making a difference. He was really good at it and he loved doing it, right? And, and that's awesome whenever you can sit there and engage in your why. But over time, he realized that, well, some things had changed in his life. It got to a point where he uh, his kids got a little bit older and his kids started using drugs. And before he knew it, both of his kids were using heroin. And his why changed, right? Um, He saw how difficult it was to find treatment and how hard it was not just to attain recovery, but to actually maintain recovery. Because we all know stopping is pretty easy, right? I mean, I'll stop, I'll put down until I pick up again in half an hour. It's that quitting and not picking back up that's really hard. He also saw how his kids were treated from by the legal system and by medical professionals and um, by people in his own community, you know, and he saw how little attention the opioid crisis was receiving in his community. And he started seeing all of the the kids dying and his friends um, losing their kids. And he knew he had to work to change that, not just for his kids, but for other parents, children as well. Now he, Now he had a different why, you know, his why switched and now, uh, he's actually one of the board members that I have for better life and recovery. And we're able to use him to start making an impact on families and youth and kids and all these other things. So, I mean, it's been really neat to be able to do this. And I want to use this story because it, it's possible for a lot of people to work a profession or vocation and still do what they love and still have that purpose, still have their why that they're doing on the side. Um, I also use this his example because it shows how your Ikigai or that your why can change over time, right? So not just your why, but your Ikigai can actually change due to circumstances that may change in your life. So what did I do? You know, I am running myself ragged. I'm wearing down. I I just kept doing it. You know, for the next several years, I worked at this frenetic, frenetic, frenetic. Um, man, I hate that I have vocabulary, but yet I, I don't know how to pronounce some of the words. We'll go with fren- frenetic. Fren- yeah, yeah, that. We'll go with that. So I worked at this crazy pace. How about that? And... Um, because 100% statistically impossible, right? If for those people who are doing 110%, I don't know what kind of coffee you're drinking, but turn me on. It must be Keefy or something because I can only give it 99.9, but I was doing 99.9% and I was working, not doing a great job, but I was still doing a good job um, as a therapist. And then I was building my nonprofit on the side. And while I was doing that, I started building that solid reputation around the state. Now, I want you to know that if you find your why, there's not anything that's going to stand in your way. Um, It may take you time. It, It might take years, but victory will be yours. I know that because in the end, I succeeded. You know, uh... 
it all worked out. I was subcontracting and volunteering with uh, MRN, the Missouri Recovery Network, kind of uh, doing, uh, living, living out my uh, why, my dream job, except I was doing it on a, on a case-by-case basis, like a training here, training there. Um, they got a grant, and I did something through one of their grants, I think, for like six months, like half a year. I got paid part-time to do some stuff. And then with several years doing that for Missouri Recovery Network, on top of my job, in addition to building my nonprofit, um, they offered me a job. I will always remember every time I would run into Brenda, who is the director of Missouri Recovery Network, I would say, hey, when are you going to hire me? And she would always say, sorry, we we don't have it. We don't have the budget. And I ran into her at a conference and I said, Brenda, when are you going to hire me? And she said, well, when are you going to fill out an application? So I filled out an application and went through their process. It came down to me and one other person. And because this is my why, this is my Ica guy, I got the job. You know, today I'm the advocacy and education outreach coordinator for the state of Missouri. And um, not only that, but I've been able to put less time into my nonprofit, uh, Better Life and Recovery and the Springfield Recovery Community Center now, because we've got federal grants and we have some funding that comes in. And we've actually been able to, instead of running 100% volunteers, we're actually able to pay some staff to work there and we continue to grow. And even though we're getting bigger, it still takes less of my time than it did before. Now, I don't believe in chance, kismet, serendipity, uh, and I, I don't believe in luck. I'm just not that lucky. I'm not where I am because of luck or chance. I'm where I am because while I was working the mundane, I found out my why and I chased after it. Once I started actively living out my why, life changed. You know, I stopped being so petty. Uh, I stopped... Fo- I no longer got became I was no longer worried about recurrence of use, relapsing, going back. Um, it wasn't even an option for me anymore because I knew all of these amazing things that I was gonna do. Um, because of my why, I made better choices, my relationships became more positive. I started to find people that actually supported me. Um, few and far between, but I found people that supported my why and my pursuit of it. I also, my old boss, she was amazing, you know, because she encouraged me all the time. Uh, the lady that uh, was the director, uh, her name's Mary, and she was the director at where I was a therapist. She was the first board member of my nonprofit. And I'll always remember when she said this to me, it was mind-blowing. She said, I want to support your nonprofit, and I know that someday we'll lose you here. And I hate that for us, she said, but you're as good as you are at what you do here. You're great out there. And, you know, I mean, that's because I'd found my why. Other people could see it. So then I became more selective about the things I said I, and did. And I had the extra energy and the the joy to sit there and Work. I started my nonprofit in 2012 and started figuring out my, what my why was. I didn't get hired by the Missouri Recovery Network until 2017. 
So literally, I was eight, almost eight years sober, almost eight years in recovery, and almost six years knowing what my why was, and yet having to continue working at a job that wasn't my why so that I could do my why on the side because that's how much I loved it. And I was able to do that, like I said, because once you find your why, man, I don't know. I don't know if I can, if I can really get across how amazing it is. Uh, Michael, Michael Jr. sums it all up like this. He says, when you know your why, then your what has more impact because you're working towards your purpose. And when I was working towards my purpose, nothing stopped me. You know, that's the cool thing about that person that has that, that, that genetic push for uh, never going part way. You know, it sucks if we don't find our why. For the longest time, I thought my why was drugs. And then I thought my why was to die. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to be really good at this when I go out. But over time, I figured out that wasn't what it was. You know, and as I found this new why and started chasing it, you know, uh, I found my purpose. And purpose is so important that it's considered one of the four dimensions of recovery by the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration of America whenever they uh, came up with their definition of recovery. You know, I mean, that's how vital it is to attaining and maintaining recovery that it's actually one of those four definitions with home, health, purpose, and community being those four definitions. So I want to strongly encourage you to, to figure out what your why is and start doing it. If that means volunteering, then volunteer. Um, if that means working and then doing it on the side or creating your nonprofit, then do that. Trust me, it is so worth it. Now, we're wired to want what we want and we want it right now and not to have patience. When you finally find your why, you, you gain patience. Your life becomes richer and more vibrant. You're able to plot away at a mundane job because you know when you get off, you can engage in your why. You know that, you know what, I'm going to work these five 12-hour shifts, but this weekend I get to do my why. Doing what you love adds fuel to your to your life, and that fuel gives you energy. You know, your why is like Red Bull. It gives you wings, and you learn to soar. You can actually see the impact on the people and the community around you, and you become vital to the community you live in because you're doing something that makes the community better, and for the first time in your life, you feel like you're a positive piece of the community that's, that you're in. And when you have setbacks, I mean, it's so much easier to accept them because you're, you still get to do what you love at the end of the day. You know, not many people can say that, but I know that you'll be able to one day because I have. And if I, be, if I can do it, I believe anybody can. So find your why. Because when you find your why, you will find the way to make it happen. I guarantee it. In closing, I just want to thank you for listening to the podcast. Please join us every week for new episodes. If you want to connect with us further, if you have any questions, topics you'd like to hear in the future, or maybe you would like to be on the podcast sometime, you can connect with us at betterlifeandrecovery.com. Uh, there's a Better Life and Recovery page on Facebook, or you can uh, we're on Twitter, uh, B-L-I-R underscore N-P-O. 
Also, this podcast is part of the Studio DNA Podcast Network. You can find out more about the network at studiodna.media. Thanks a lot. Y'all have a great week.